Um, just before this episode starts, I want to shout out one of my OG boys, Young Matt, aka Snapchat Matt, aka Showersack, aka Dominic Leperrier, aka Neon Ma, aka Matt Ning Nong. <laughs> uh, great dude. Um, would love to have him on one day so, you know, we can shoot the breeze and he can talk about the uncanny amount of cricket statistics that he keeps in that big brain of his. Um, but anyway, shout out to Matt. Everybody said Matt, your love. <laughs> he is um, officially now, I'm, he's my soundtrack guy. I'm just like, look, tell me. But fucked up the editing. <laughs> Let me know. Probably not going to do anything about it. But at least I'll be aware. So thank you, Matt. Appreciate you. Love your work. Stay classy. Hello. Welcome to Saturday. (laughs) Actually, welcome to the Mercurial, but also welcome to Saturday. It's steaming hot today. Um, Let's cool down with some true crime, yeah. (laughs) Weather's been about 40 degrees all day. Um, I had a rough start to the morning. Sick nephew. Hot day. I don't want to get into it. Anyway, how's everyone doing? How was your day, your week, your month, even your year? You get that reference? Sick. Um, But no, how's your friends? How's your fam? Are they treating you well? I'm doing adequately. Can't complain. Um, But you know, let's just jump straight into it. Because today, today, I want to talk about Jack the Ripper. First things first, though. Uh, before we go into today's episode, I'm going to preface this with a trigger warning because this episode does contain some violent material that might be listening, uh, might be disturbing to listen to. So listener discretion is advised. Here is your warning. It's almost common knowledge that Jack the Ripper is one of, if not the most infamous unsolved murder mystery in the world Uh, he murdered brutalized five female prostitutes in 1888 and they never found him and if you a fan of pop culture pop culture at all you'll you've seen as how many iterations of the tale of jack the ripper how many conspiracy theories reddit threads just story upon story upon story about who Jack the Ripper was, who could have been, his motivations, why he stopped killing, all those sorts of things. Today, I want to talk to you about another Jack the Ripper. This guy was known as the Chinese Jack the Ripper. And when the case was finalized, I'll say, it made worldwide news. They, I, I came across articles from everywhere, you know, throughout China, Southeast Asia, the Pacific, America, Europe, the UK, Africa, like this, this case made worldwide news. So let me take you on a journey of China's own Jack the Ripper, almost a century later after the original event. 
It's a seemingly ordinary afternoon on May 26th, 1988. A man allegedly stalks a woman before breaking into her home in Bayin, China, a place known amongst locals as the Copper City. Upon breaking in, he's caught by the homeowner, where he then attacks, rapes, and then murders the 23-year-old woman who works at the local non-ferrous metal company. When the victim's body is found by police, they identify 26 individual stab wounds. It was the first in a number of murders that began to haunt Bayin for the years to come. In 1994, another woman is killed. She's 19 years old. Her body is found at a power supply bureau in Bayin. Police report that the victim was violently stabbed 43 times. A whole wall covered in the blood of the stabbings. They also report that the murderer washed his body in the public laundry room located in the staff dormitory before he left the scene. Four years later, in 1998, an eight-year-old girl is killed in a school dormitory. Her body is thrown into the cabinet in an effort to hide the body, and the murderer even drinks a cup of tea at the residence after the killing. In that same year, another three women are killed. The cases at the time seemed unrelated, but their bodies were often mutilated in different ways, and after they were killed, their organs were missing. And uh, they later found out that they were being tossed into the Yellow River, which is the second longest river in China. It runs through the city of Baiyin. Police are hitting dead ends everywhere after investigating a bunch of local criminals, and they're coming away with nothing. But yet the murders seem to follow the same pattern. The women are followed back to their apartments, where they typically lived alone. The murderer would then attack and assault the women, slit their throats, and then mutilate their sexual organs, amongst other parts leading police to believe that their unsub was harboring a deep resentment towards female sexuality. When I was looking up these murders, I came across a whole bunch of different sources, but there's a website called The Lineup that shared this article. Um, I'll post a link to their site in the show notes. But they identified the correlation, obviously, between these killings and the original Jack the Ripper murders uh, and go into a little bit more detail on why they are so similar. So the original Jack the Ripper murders uh, women on the streets, their throats being slit and them suffering mutilations to their bodies. And in this case, the Chinese Ripper did cut off the victim's breasts, hands, ears and other body parts, but was not believed to have engaged in any cannibalism as they suspected the original Jack the Ripper did. So small mercies, I guess. But back to our story. Local police, they begin to theorize that due to the nature of the murders and the fact that many of the victims are dressed in red, that not only does their suspect hold a deep resentment towards females, but a sexual fascination with women dressed in red. So at some point, these details make its way through the city of Bayin and women start you know they cutting their hair short uh they stop wearing red because they don't want to be targeted as the next victim years later in 2001 the police have a close call with their suspect so a new victim makes a desperate call to the police and with her literal last breaths she tells them she's being murdered 
but she dies before she can provide any specific details. When her body is found, the police are frustrated to realise the crime scene is literally one block away from their police station and there's only one exit to the building. So they're making their frustration know they've come so close to the perpetrator and it's frustrating because they think if we acted with that, we could potentially have gone our guy and maybe have saved a life. Eventually, they attribute more victims to one suspect and he becomes dubbed as China's own Jack the Ripper. That's where his title eventually came through. But by 2002, the Ripper had stopped killing. Why? Nobody knew, just like the original Ripper. The police reported that they did retrieve DNA evidence from their murder scenes. Obviously, it was a different time. It wasn't as extensive as it is now. But they had samples which allowed them to connect uh, a number of murders together spanning the decades. So we see from 88 all the way up to 2002. But they could not connect their samples to anyone registered in the Bayin province. It wasn't until 2004 that the Ministry of Public Security ties all 11 murders together. I should say all 11 known murders. The victims included nine victims in Bayin and two in Inner Mongolia, which is an autonomous region north of China. And when they reached this conclusion, obviously there was like, we've got a, we've got a, we've got a definite serial killer on our hands. We need to do something. So they offered a reward to the public for about 200,000 yuan, uh, which I think is about 400, uh, no, 40,000 Australian dollars. They, with that, they released a, a narrowed down profile of their suspect. And I think it was the first time that the public had received any specific details regarding the suspect that they were looking into. But they advised that the perpetrator had a sexual perversion. Uh, he probably hates women. He would appear reclusive and unsociable, but was a patient, pet, patient man. And even with those details... And with the reward, it turned up no workable leads. It wasn't until a man was arrested for an unrelated bribery offence and submitted a, well, took part in a routine DNA test that it all came crumbling down. So the sample provided was a near match to the DNA they'd collected from the Bayin slayings that they had on file. So the police took the samples uh, and approached their the guy that they just arrested. They don't actually ever reference him by name in any of these articles, which is quite frustrating. Anyway, so they take the samples from this guy, they go to his family, take more samples from them to narrow it down, and they find their killer. That's how he was busted. Before I go into the details on who the murderer was, just reading over these articles and the social impact these murders had on this city. Like this city was haunted by these killings from 88 through to 2002. And even beyond that, because they obviously they weren't sure, is he going to do it again? We don't know what's going on. The women were afraid to leave their homes. If they went anywhere, they were escorted by a male relative or a friend you know, the women were afraid to grow their hair long, afraid to wear the color red in case they were going to be targeted by the killer as his next victim. 
So it's quite interesting. I mean, horrible, obviously, but quite interesting to look at the impacts on the community that he targeted as a whole. Finally, on the 26th of August, 2016, 51-year-old Cheng Yong-gao was arrested on site at a grocery store that was located within a school that he had managed with his wife in Bayin for an extended period of time. When the police made to arrest Gao, he attempted to escape with obviously without success. Um, the police recaptured him and when they confronted him and asked why he was being arrested, like if he understood why he simply responded, it was because he had killed people. So they take him in after his arrest. He tries to kill himself in the interrogation room by banging his head um, against, I think, the bottom of his chair is what I read. Um, he had to get some stitches for the head wounds. And, you know, I mean, after evading capture for 28 years, um, I suppose he was feeling, feeling pretty desperate that he was about to be held accountable for his crimes. At this point, he confesses. Uh, and all the reports show that when he did confess, he had a very blank expression on his face he was able to recall precise times of each murder case that he was uh, confronted with. When they asked him if he felt any remorse or regret for his victims and their families, he pretty much just shook his head. And the only time he ever seemed to show any emotion or care for anything was when he asked if these cases would affect his children. At the time when his arrest was made known that they'd finally got him, the citizens of Bayin, you know, I was just mentioning that they were pretty much living almost under like a, a cloud of fear. They celebrated. They were letting off firecrackers in the street. They were coming out and celebrating. They're like, wow, it's, there's an end, right? They've got the guy. During, ugh, during this whole time, Gao had been married he was married for over 30 years at that point. He had two sons. His actual, his eldest son was born in 88, the year of his first murder. And what is known about Gao's upbringing is that he grew up in the northeast province of Xinjiang and by all accounts was considered a dutiful son. Um, there's a, a thing report I read that he was a little bit maybe emotionally detached, but he cared for his father who had suffered from a bout of paralysis uh, was also reported to be quite bitter after he failed to become a pilot. Um, he claimed that was all, uh, you know, political reasons. But overall, his life seemed quite conventional, uh, conventional and unremarkable from any other observer's standpoint. Nothing, no great trauma that he endured that might have turned him over. So... As the case goes on and they dig more into, obviously, the details of the killing, they actually find out that the grocery store he was arrested in, that he was managing with his wife, was the origination point for most of his murders. So he would be working, a woman would come in, and then he would tell them home and then obviously go through the assault and murder. <sighs> yep. And... When all these details came out, a lot of the police were so they were so frustrated. They were like, we were turning every stone over, you know, investigating every nook and cranny, trying to find this dude. And he's literally in front of our faces. He's under our noses the entire time working, no less, at a grocery store within a vocational school. 
which I think was where one or two of the murders also occurred. Well, I think one of them he was in it was in a dance hall as well. Anyway, so yeah, apparently um, that's what he did. He would operate in the daytime, follow the victims home, and then he would strike. He admitted he raped his victims sometimes when they were alive, sometimes after he'd stabbed them to death. He pretty much confirmed and confessed to all 11 murders that they were accusing him with and then they locked him up. I don't believe there were just 11. I mean, there's no real hints. There's a few people, a few articles where they make mention of other murders that could have been attributed to him during that period of time. I think, I mean, obviously I'm no expert on, you know, murderers, serial murderers, no, no, anything like that anyway. But it just seems like, I mean, there are 11 that they know of, nine in Bayin, two in Inner Mongolia. You're telling me there wasn't more? I don't know. I don't believe it. Anyway, turns out the reason Gao's DNA didn't even show in the first place is because he never registered it in Bayin. He only registered in a nearby Gansu province where he lived. Uh, and he pretty much admitted that the reason he stopped killing was because he, as he was getting older, he was getting weaker. Um, he found his physical strength started you know, lacking and he was no longer strong enough to kill his victims in the way he had been in the past. He also confessed that uh, part of the reason was that his sons were in school at that time and he left to buy in to work in Inner Mongolia to in construction to earn money for his son's studies before he returned back to buy in eventually. I did read somewhere too that his sons did grow up, went to university and now working. They seem to have somewhat normal lives. But after all of that, on March 30th, 2018 he was then sentenced to death stripped of all assets and then finally executed on the 3rd of january 2019 by lethal injection the end well not really but i mean when i think about cases like these and then i think about you know last season of the podcast where i was talking about excuse me then um the scale of evil, right? That that dude made. And I think to myself, where did this guy fit? I mean, he stalked, raped, murdered, mutilated, but he wasn't a cannibal. So I think he rates pretty high, but he's definitely below Jeffrey Dahmer. I don't think anything gets a little bit more freaky than that. I was going to tell you guys about the Indian Jack the Ripper as well. But I don't want this to be like too long an episode. But if you do want to check him out, there is an article by BBC.com covering India's Jack the Ripper. Um, His name was Raman Raghav. He terrorized Mumbai, uh, which was called Bombay back in the day. Murdered 41 people. Um, And yeah, there's there's all all renewed interest in... um, in him as a serial killer because they did a made for TV movie. Um, anyway, <laughs> goes into details. He had his killing spree over a few years during the 1960s. Um, pretty much held the city in fear. All his victims were poor people who were slept on the, on the pavement or they were living in like a shanty town kind of a thing. Um, there were men, women, children, infants, didn't discriminate uh, and they were all attacked while they slept so all of them died after their heads were smashed in with a hard like a, a blunt instrument um but yeah 
if that's something that interests you, check it out. Um, I believe one of the police that was working on that particular case, they retired. Oh, excuse me. Day is getting long in the tooth. All right. Um, he retired and he wrote uh, pretty much like a tell-all thing in a book called Footprints on the Sands of Crimes and Crimes, Criminals and Cops. So you should check that out. There was no motives to those murders. I mean, not like Ripper-esque in that he he wasn't the same as Gao. Like he wasn't, I don't believe he was assaulting the bodies and I don't know if he was mutilating them. I think he was just smashing their heads in with a brick. You know what I mean? But yeah. Crazy. But, um, again, the social impact of serial killers. It's fascinating. This guy, Raghav, when he was killing, they, they didn't treat him like a god, but they, there's rumors were going around circulating about, you know, him being a mysterious villain uh, who had supernatural powers, like super strength. He could change into a cat, um, or he could change into a parrot. He was a shapeshifter. And the press started dubbing him India's Jack the Ripper, I think, because of, you know, all the, the murderers. And at the time, it was insane. Like, they had, like, 2,000 people patrolling the streets. Um, everyone was in a panic, especially in those suburban areas. Um, all, like, the sort of common gathering areas and parks would be empty by dark. Um, streets were being emptied nervous people who lived in the area would take sticks with them to protect themselves yeah I mean it got bad I mean you know as the public do when they're freaking out about something they turn on each other and they started attacking uh, beggars and homeless men who they thought would be the murderer but yeah it's, it's insane so I mean, if you want to hear more about that in detail, you let me know and I'll make another episode about it. But I just, you know, I, I don't know other stuff. And it sounds weird to say it interests me. Um, it's more that like, why read a book when you can read about an actual thing that happened in history? That's how I feel about it. I mean, look, look I like my shitty fiction as well. Um, I, I read smut from time to time. It's all right. I love those Wattpad stories. I mean, I hate the Wattpad movies. I hate watch them hard. Um, but you know, it's the beauty of language and sharing stories and things. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm gonna let you guys go. As always, thank you for being here. If you want to find some links uh, to the sources for where I get my information from to share these things with you check the show notes i am considering setting up a website at some point so it's more easily accessible because i know i don't really use the facebook or anything so thank you for your patience thank you to people who show up and listen to me ramble about this shit week after week after such a long time appreciate y'all love you all um considering getting a patreon should i do that i don't know let me know subscribe to us Put us in your podcast feed, iTunes, Google Play Store, Anchor FM, Spotify, 
whatever you like to. Should I make an email list? Can't be bothered. That's a lot of work. I'll think about it if we get more listeners. <laughs> anyway, next episode. Look, I'm on a true crime binge. I usually make a, like a point to like schedule these things out, but I'm fucking, I'm like, so much energy, okay? And like I follow wherever my vibe is going. Right now I'm on true crime vibe. It could change next week. Join the adventure with me, okay? <laughs> Thanks for being here. I love you guys. <laughs> See y'all soon. Peace. Actually, also, don't forget to find us on Instagram at Mercurial Podcast. Also, send us an email at mercurial.podcast at gmail.com. I promise I will read it and respond. Okay. Anyway, thank you. Bye.